So this afternoon we're going to um, obviously continue in our series through the book of Exodus. Um, and as uh, Andy preached last week, didn't he, and reminded us that we're kind of, well, we are going over the same passage again, which sounds a little bit unusual. Um, it's not a recap in case someone wasn't here, um, but it's kind of taking a different perspective on Exodus 20. That's not to say that Andy did a bad job and we're saying, no, no, I've got to redo that preach. Because um, if we did, it certainly wouldn't be me doing it. Um, but it's another opportunity for us to really look at the law that God gives to his people in the book of Exodus and just um, see a different, um, perhaps, pathway that we, we take in this. So in a moment, we are going to read uh, from Exodus 20 uh, and verse 1 to 21. Um, but before we do that, I'm just going to go through a little bit of context. Um, not because people don't remember or that we've not been here, but it's helpful just to get the little, a few key parts of the story in our minds prior to, to jumping into the passage. So uh, the context actually starts in Genesis. Now, don't panic. It's not an overview of uh, the Old Testament here, but just very, very briefly, the key part, as I'm sure we're familiar with, is that God gives a promise, doesn't he, to Abraham in Genesis 12. And this promise, which I'm sure we're familiar with and, and aware of, is that it's going to make Israel a great nation, a great nation and a great blessing um, to those around them. And we know it's a significant promise because in that moment, uh, Abraham is old, his wife is old, and they can't quite see how that's going to come to be. But again, God does that. Um, and then we get to the end of Genesis and we see, don't we, the story of uh, Joseph being sold to eat, uh, into Egypt, into slavery, has a, an interesting experience, some favour with uh, the Pharaoh there uh, and also some tough times while he's in prison. Um, but ultimately, at this point here, Jacob, which is Abraham's son, takes his family to Egypt uh, for a better life, for safety, perhaps. Um, they're really trusting in the promises of God. And at that point there, for God's people, you could, you could say uh, life was good. Israel as a, as a nation there prospered, they were fruitful, they multiplied, they grew in number and in stature. And ultimately, they were a blessing uh, to the people there. But then we fast forward 400 years, Jacob and his family are gone, they've passed on, and it's a really different picture. Uh, God's people are in slavery, they're oppressed at the hand of Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh, who at this point was one of, if not the most evil leader to date in the Bible, um, and was very intent on oppressing God's people. He saw how they were growing. He didn't see that as a blessing at all, but in fact, it's a threat to his kingdom, and ultimately, he made it his mission to stop them, to stunt and shunt their growth. And we saw more slavery. And you remember, um, again, the barbaric decision that he made uh, to do away with all Israelite male firstborns or babies uh, to stop that line from going. Um, but again, we see, don't we, that what's their response to that? At the end of, end of chapter two is they, they cry out to God and they're groaning uh, and God hears them. But there's something really significant to, to, to note in that. Uh, at the end of chapter two, which is, it says God knew. God knew because God was with them. God was present with them uh, in their blessing and in their suffering. Um, I was at this point here, as we move through very, very quickly through the rest of that, is that God then uses his servant Moses uh, to ultimately seek to free his people from slavery. And we see, don't we, loads of stuff going on there, which ultimately kind of comes to a conclusion uh, in Exodus 12 after the, the plagues have taken place 
And we get to the final plague, which obviously is, is during Passover, the death of the firstborns of, of Egyptian families. Uh, Pharaoh says, enough is enough. He, he, he concedes and he ends up releasing God's people momentarily. Um, and that's where we get the exodus come from Israel, uh, from Egypt, sorry, um, all the way uh, down to the wilderness. And we see that, don't we, the, the, the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, and another thing to note there, isn't it, as well, that God's people have gone from um, oppression, uh, suffering, slavery, into what seems in, in the short term a wonderful situation because they're, they're free. They've been saved from that. They've been taken away from that uh, into, a, into a, a hopeful situation. But they very quickly forget and went through a big, a big time, didn't we, talking about um, a couple of days on the road, getting to a good, another good place they were going to. They soon start to complain and grumble. Uh, they become discontent with their situation. Um, but what's God's response again to that? It's patient. It's pro- he, he, he is gracious. He provides for them with food, with water. Um, again, more time passes. They forget God's goodness. They grumble. They moan. What happens again? God shows favour. God shows grace to them and meets their need. Um, and it's at this point now where we're going to find uh, God's people uh, camped in Mount Sinai and that interaction between Moses and God and his people. Um, I'm going to, if you turn with me to um, Exodus chapter 20. Now, don't be alarmed. A bit of a caveat to the start here is that we're going to read this passage because it's our passage. But because we went through it a lot last week as well and, and the angle's slightly different, we're not going to go through verse by verse what this, what this passage says, but rather what it's pointing us towards. And we'll be dipping in and out of lots of verses, particularly in the New Testament. Um, but do uh, read this with me. We'll read this passage, we'll pray, and then we'll go into a, in a bit more detail. So, uh, Exodus chapter 20 says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. 
And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's just pray quickly together. Father, we just thank you for this uh, passage. Thank you for your word. We just pray now as we uh, hear more that you'll just uh, help us to understand, help us to respond uh, with worship, Father, because these words that we hear are your words. They're from your word, Father, and we know that your word is true. And we know that it is um, what we need um, for our salvation, but for our sustainment as well in our faith. So I pray you just help us to to concentrate now uh, for the next few minutes and just really kind of grasp more of who you are through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 So as we go through chapter 20, we've kind of got a bit of a, a scene where Moses is ascending up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. And to receive the law. And we heard a bit about this, didn't we, last week um, from Andy, uh, looking at how the law pointed to the will of God um, and how it was a means by which God's people could display his glory to those around them uh, as they sought to obey it uh, and respond to it. And it was good for them because ultimately they, they, were, they, were, they knew God. Um, you know, within that law that was given to them, God's character and nature was, was very much present and evident there and helped them to flourish. Now, been doing a little bit of uh, looking into the law. Um, I, I, was, I was partially uh, okay with it because I thought there's no lawyers in Liberty, is there? I remember Matt actually does work with technically a little bit of the law, don't you? So I'm a little bit nervous now. Um, but if there's anything on here that is wrong, I do apologise. But to me, the law or the concept of law is quite fascinating. Um, so these, these quotes, by the way, these statistics off the internet and anyone could have written them who knows there's my caveat so if it is wrong there you go but according to the internet um, which is a reliable source in in the uk there's four separate legal systems which total a staggering 52,741 individual laws um allegedly and there's loads of obviously laws that have similar so of course we know in our legal system you can't you do not murder it's still applicable today as it was back then the same for stealing, but there have been some interesting additions made. Now, when you type into Google, uh, fascinating, interesting, crazy types of laws, all sorts come out. I picked the best ones I could find, um, and you're going to be blown away by these, so bear with. But here we go. Here's some interesting laws that I found out. It is illegal to handle salmon in suspicious circumstances. Okay? Now, this is, I don't know where that's come from. But you, know, you can imagine, can't you, like chefs kind of preparing it in a seafood restaurant, um, being really nervous or panicky if people are ordering a poached salmon or something like that. Uh, I don't know what, this, what the, the circumstance or the outcome will be. Um, here, now this one, I don't know if it's true or not, but it must be. It says it's illegal for MPs to wear a suit of armour inside Parliament. That's true. Is that true? Well, I was trying to work out like, what, what would the interaction have been, so, you know... MP sitting there. Well, exactly, yeah, having a chat, you know. Boris, you right? Yeah, what's wrong? You, you, you're wearing your armour inside Parliament. Like, you, you know you can't do that. Like, it's a bizarre, but apparently if it's true, it's true. Um, another one, it is illegal to sing happy birthday in public. Did you know that? Um, because under the copyright law, 
of Patty and Mildred Hill. They, they are the lyricists of Happy Birthday. So you can sing alternative versions, but their original uh, track you cannot sing, otherwise you can get fined. A couple more to go. Um, this one was reassuring. It's illegal under the Prohibition and Inspections Act of 1998 to cause a nuclear explosion. <laughs> so if anyone had that in their itinerary for this evening, you know, please amend that. But that, that was a reassuring one. And this one here is illegal to place a stamp with the Queen's head on upside down, okay, on a letter or a, uh, a birthday card or so on because it's deemed as treason. Now, I'm panicking a little bit because I googled what is treason, how can you cause treason? So I'm really hoping no one in the, uh, in the government is checking my, my Google search. But <laughs> Now, that, that's for the UK. A couple more interesting ones as well. Foreign laws. Um, you may know these ones, I don't know. But it's illegal, allegedly, to wear board shorts around a beach or a swimming pool in France. Men must wear Speedos. <laughs> so we are not going to France anytime soon. <laughs> um, it's illegal to take a selfie with a great body stature in Sri Lanka. It's illegal to ride a cow whilst you're drunk in Scotland. <laughs> now, my assumption is somebody's actually ridden a cow whilst they're drunk in Scotland and found out that's not, not appropriate. Um, any Disney fans, it's illegal to wear a T-shirt with Winnie the Pooh on it whilst you're in Poland, allegedly. Uh, again, this is the internet, so who knows? Um, two more. It's illegal to wear camouflage whilst you're in the Caribbean. It's illegal to wear a mask in public in Denmark. I'm not talking about COVID mask here. We're talking, I saw a picture of this. You're talking about a full-on, like, horse head <laughs> type mask. You cannot... Imper- yeah, it's, it's crazy, but allegedly... So if anyone was, again, heading to Denmark, don't take your horse heads or your big masks with you. But I find laws fascinating. I think for the most part, would agree we follow the law because we recognise the importance of law and the value of it. Because if there's no laws in society, we know what the outcome will be. It'll be chaos. Um, I think for us as Christians, the paradox is there's not just actions that are defined by law to be wrong that we need to consider because we know that there's lots of things that aren't illegal in society but are, are, are sinful before a holy God um, in our consciences. And obviously uh, we have the, the Holy Spirit as well that we grieve when we do wrong before God. Uh, now, there's an 18th century German philosopher called Immanuel Kant who basically believes, or his, his philosophy uh, was premised on the fact morals and ethics are determined by the motive behind an action instead of an action itself. So, for example, um, murder, you know, the act of murder is, you know, can be self-justified if it's self-defence. So, um, you know, he, he would argue that it's not wrong in that, in that instance, but obviously even though the act of murder has taken place, um, it's that interpretation. Another one would be um, theft. If you steal food to feed an impoverished family, for example, you can self-justify that because obviously the absence of food will cause starvation, so you shouldn't be punished, although Jean Valjean would uh, disagree with that. I had no Hobbit references, so I've gone for Les Miserables uh, on that one. Um, but again, but I think this is the fascination is because whether through the law or your conscience... Or Christians for us, you know, throughout through the Holy Spirit, all of humanity to some degree is able to recognise actions that are right and actions that are wrong. And the Bible, obviously, being an inspired word of God, um, you know, a source of truth for us as, as believers, particularly within a world of lies and distortion and self-truth, informs us of our sin, tells us what we've done um, in terms of our morals, our actions, not because of 
again, our ideologies, but because of the perfect nature and character of God. We see that through scripture. We see in Romans 3, Paul declares to the church in Rome there, no one is righteous, no, not one. We see later on in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, and in this context of God giving his people the law in Exodus 20, he's given those commandments to them in a specific time and place um, to a specific group of people. Uh, and context is key, isn't it, in the Bible? So we see um, through the timeline of his history within the Bible, particularly where you've got uh, kingships or governance where it's lacking or it's, or it's based on, on the will of man rather than the will of God. So there's very few kings uh, in the Old Testament that would uphold God's law. You can think of some like King Ahaz, uh, Josiah, Jehoiakim, all kings that turned from the law, the will of God, and more went towards their own desires and their own, own will. And I think we see it most chillingly at the end of the book of Judges. Um, the last verse in the book of Judges that says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Um, they're so far removed from God, from his character, from his law, from his will, from his covenant that he made with his people originally and his promises. And we see that again a little bit as well through um, more modern history. We see, so I'm sure you're familiar again um, with the story of Henry VIII, obviously pop, not popular, infamous uh, king in the early 1500s, who actually broke from the Catholic faith, uh, or seemingly did, to become the head of the Church of England, purely to divorce his first wife, uh, Catherine of Aragon. He um, made that move so he could satisfy his own desire while he was on the throne, but ultimately then he was, was still practising Catholicism secretly. But again, it just tends, doesn't it? It leads us to humanity by nature, being rebellious toward the law and the will of God, uh, being sinful. As that p- passage in Romans told us there, nobody is able to do good. Um, and that leads us back to our passage in Exodus 20, where we read God giving his law to his people. And the law given to Israel at this part time was for a set purpose. And God reminds them first, he doesn't it, of what he's done. We're going to see that again as we move through in a moment. God tells them what he has done. He's brought them out of slavery. He saved them from, from Egypt. And then he goes into um, how he wants them to respond to him and live. Um, and further on as well, isn't it? It's not a case of do these things and I love you, but more because of his, his love for them. Um, we see it in Exodus 19 where it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we see later on that in the New Testament, these words are echoed by Peter when he writes to Christians who are exiled, encouraging them, seeking to implore them to live a life worthy of their calling. He says these words, which again will be familiar to us, uh, I'm sure. But he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And ultimately, the law that was given to the Israelites at this time wasn't going to save them, not eternally. Um, it was there, wasn't it, ultimately to expose their sin and lead them to see a greater need, uh, which was God for them, which was obviously for them looking forward to a saviour. For us now, looking back, we see um, exactly what that was in, in and through 
the Lord Jesus. Looking again at Romans 3, uh, if we pause for a moment, if you go home after this and read Romans 3, there's so much rich uh, theology there around the law and around God um, and his people. But another, another uh, verse here says, in Romans 3, 20-22 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather through the law we become conscious of our sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that's the purpose for us to take from this passage for us and what it means for us. is The, the law is good. The law was certainly good for uh, Israel at this point in their, in their journey. But it wasn't going to save. We know it's the death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus that saves. And Israel believed by trusting God and his word. Whereas we, of course, can look back to what the Lord Jesus has done for us in the gospel. Now, I just want to close or finish with a few, uh, few questions for us to think about relating to the law and our understanding of it. And how we can apply that to our life um, and as we seek to be a witness as a church, as individuals, uh, where God's placed us. So just a few questions to think about. The first one being this. So are we now bound by the law that we read of in Exodus chapter 20? Now it might seem like a, an obvious question, but ultimately no. Because again, the law is given to Israel in Exodus and it was given to them and for them. It was God's covenant with them to expose their sin, perhaps, or to inform them of uh, how, how he wants them to live and to govern them in that way. One, for their good, also but to bless God and to bless other people. Um, and we said, don't we? So again, in Romans 3, I told you there's lots of good stuff in Romans 3. You want to read this one you get home? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law come, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I was thinking, so if you have kids or work with kids, which I work with children, um, older children, but sometimes uh, get to spend time with younger ones as well. You don't have to teach children to do wrong. You, we know that. Um, yeah, so Georgina works in a nursery. You know, there's not a lovely little kid playing that really nicely. Sees other kids snatching and hitting and screaming and says, oh, oh Miss, could you just show me how to, to misbehave like them? They know how to do it because it comes from a sinful, uh, rebellious bias towards self. It's in their nature. And I suppose having a no-hitting rule or a no-snatching rule exposes that to others, doesn't it? And they start to see that their behaviour uh, is right and that is what is wrong, sorry, and that is what that will do. Um, and that is what the, the for, for, for the people in Israel at the time, that is what the law was there for. Now for us, we know, or hopefully we know, that we've received a new covenant uh, in and through the Lord Jesus. Um, Jeremiah 31 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. That new covenant, even in that period of time then, they were looking forward to it and, and it may we're gonna we're gonna come to the table aren't we a bit later on. Um and these verses here from Luke twenty two which are kind of re emphasised again in one Corinthians, which will be familiar, speak of that um new covenant where uh, the kind of during the last supper it says in the same way after supper he being Jesus took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So we think about 
Jesus giving of himself, uh, you know, his shed blood, his death on the cross, we enter into a new promise, a new covenant, which we then don't need to follow a law to attain, but we receive that through faith. Um, again, some popular verses I'm sure that we're familiar with in Ephesians. It's for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So no, we're not bound by the old covenant because we've entered into a new covenant in the gospel, um, which is given to us as a gift in and through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is great news, really good news for us um, as his church, which brings us redemption of our sin, forgiveness of our sin, a relationship with God and one another and in eternity with him and his people. So question one. Question two uh, is, so because we're not bound by the law, we're talking about God's law in Exodus 20, but also there's many, many laws, isn't there, through the word of God. Does that mean we discard God's law through scripture? Well, again, the answer is no. Um, in Romans 5, and end of Romans 5 and 6, you'll have, you'll read, it says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul's response, as I'm sure we know, is a resounding, by no means. Because as God's people right through scripture in many ways, I'm going to go through some, some more verses here to highlight this. We're called to live in obedience. We're called to live. We've been declared a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And that's been given to us as an identity because of, of Jesus on the cross. But we're still called to live um, and, and seek to live in a way which is holy and obedient to the will and the word of God. We have this. Let me just read a few verses from different passages of the Bible to, to reinforce it. It says, Exodus 19, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 1 Peter, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, we read through that. People for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And Philippians 1, 27 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's so many scriptures, isn't it, which tells us that whilst we're no longer bound by law because we're entered into a new covenant with Jesus, we're still called to live in a way which reflects the holiness of God. Uh, again, there's so many, again, please do, when, when, when we kind of join this week or lead up to GCs and so on, read through scriptures that call us to live in light of the gospel, to live lives which reflect God's glory uh, to others. Um, and it is, isn't it? So it's not a case of we do this to earn God's love, but we've received God's love, we've received God's grace, therefore our response is to, uh, to live in light of that as his people. So no, we don't discard the law of God because it's good. Um, so in that case, then the final question before we close is, which I want to go through is how should we view God's law then? So, how, so if, if we're not bound by it, we're not to discard it, but we, we are in a new covenant with Jesus. How should we view God's law? So again, in Exodus 20, but also... Uh, in scripture well my think my thoughts are we should love it we should love the law of god um we should obey it we should be an advocate for it 
and use it as well to disciple people. God's called us to get alongside others and to share this with them. And I think the really good place to start is, is the holy law of God. We've been, been through those verses which talk about, um, you know, in the Bible, we have this to help with our knowledge of God. Um, we have verses that call us as Christians to, to live, to go tell people about Jesus, to disciple one another, um, to, to teach the whole counsel of God. And, we, and it's there because the law itself reflects the character and the nature of God and reminds us that even though we fail daily, if we're honest, um, whether it's intentional sin or subconscious or whatever it might be, we fail God all the time. We don't reflect the good, perfect nature and character of God. Um, but we're reminded, aren't we, by the law that God loves us, that God's provided a way for us to, to be right with him, to, to have, to be clothed in righteousness because of the death of his son, the Lord Jesus. Um, he's done that for us and, and the response he's calling us into is so go, obey, pursue holiness, live in light of the truth that we've been given uh, to lead others uh, to the Lord Jesus. Um, so we're not bound by the law. We're not judged by our ability to keep God's law. But ultimately, it leads us, or hopefully will lead us, to a place of worship of God, of praise to God. Um, because what it leads us to is to the Lord Jesus, to the person who did keep God's law, who did, um, was able to, in humility and in obedience, live a life of perfection, to meet God's standard and, and to willingly and obediently go to the cross. Um, and it's because of that, as we've, as we've kind of touched on there, that we are now in that new covenant, that the new covenant of grace, the new covenant of love, um, in terms of if we respond in faith to what God has done for us. Um, and a couple more verses to finish with before we pray and spend some time really reflecting on, on what God has, has done for us um, in the gospel. In Romans 6 says, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I just want to close with the fact that, you know, we, we know that we, we can become tired and weary. We can wake up in the morning and feel distant from God, perhaps. We can wake up, go to work, the stress, the pressure um, of relationships or financially, whatever it might be, family can come bearing down and we can just feel, because I think we live in a society where we're told, aren't we, to do more, to be, to attain, to achieve, um, but to rest in the truth and the knowledge that we can't do that. And ultimately this, this new covenant that we have um, with Jesus is there all because of what he's done for us. And, and we're called to, to love him, to follow, to be obedient uh, to his word and to his will and ultimately to lead other people to him. So I want to encourage us as we pray now before we take uh, communion is that, you know, when we really reflect upon what God has done for us, it's to, it's to really pray in our hearts and thank God for what he's done, um, which I know if we, if we are believers here, 
and that is something which we do uh, regularly. But it's an opportunity for us again to really kind of take hold of what God has done for us. So can we pray? Um, and as we, as we come before uh, communion shortly, um, to remind ourselves again just who we are as God's people, that this law that was given to God's people is so relevant for us today. Um, but how we respond is in light of what God has done for us now in and through the Lord Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that your law is good. Your law is perfect. Your law is uh, yeah, good for us to look at, to, to reflect on, to see that you call us to live in a certain way. But ultimately, when we consider um, our lives, we know we fall short. We know that your law just exposes our sin and shows us that we need something greater, someone greater. And we just praise you, Lord, that when we consider your son and how he, being fully man, fully God, was able to, to live a life worthy of that and to, to live a life that was ultimately one which fulfilled your law, one which, which we couldn't do, yet your son, the Lord Jesus, could and did. Um, as he went to the cross, he went for us. He went to take upon your sin, uh, our sin, uh, your wrath and punishment that we deserved. He took upon himself and in doing so, defeated sin and death and fulfilled that need for us to do more. Uh, and ultimately, um, now, Father, you've gifted us with the, with the faith to believe. So we want to praise you for that. We want to pray that, you know, as we as your church go into the next few days and weeks and we just don't feel good we don't feel strong enough we don't feel like we are good enough um that you by your holy spirit remind us that that's the point um and that ultimately we don't go to our own strength but we just cling to the person and work of jesus i pray you help us to do that but lord we just thank you for your word for the truth of your word and the fact that you know we are here now able to worship you because of what you've done for us um so father we love you we love you because you loved us or you love us um and we just pray now as we continue our time together that you will help us to feel and to know your grace and your love um and to really focus our time now again on on you know what it cost and what it meant for you to send jesus to die um so we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.